This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everybody's having a great day. Hope you've enjoyed the week and all the shows we've had so far. If not, feel free to go back and listen. They're there right for you on your podcast player. And uh, if you've missed any episodes this week, go back and listen to them this weekend. It's a, it's you know, you got 48 hours to, to catch up. Please, uh, please do. It's going to be a good one today, too. Sarah McClellan from the Star Tribune covers the Wild. She'll be with me here in just a minute to preview the Wild season. They open tonight in Anaheim. Um, probably won't be able to watch it on TV unless you have Hulu or ESPN+. Plus. Kind of a weird setup right now, but uh, hopefully you're able to see it. And hopefully you're excited for the year, because I am. I think it's going to be an interesting season for the Wild. I think a lot of new faces, especially on defense, um, kind of a make or break year for a few players in the organization, I think, going forward long term, because they're going to need a lot of payroll flexibility, to say the least, next year and beyond as they consider the uh, ramifications, the full ramifications of the Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter buyouts. But getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, Sarah and I will talk about this season and the Wilds prospects. Mark Craig covers the NFL, the Vikings for the Star Tribune. We do a weekly picks segment with the NFL. He will be on an interesting Vikings game this week, I think. Vikings have gone from underdogs to favorites. Sure sounds like Christian McCaffrey might not play for Carolina, and that could mean further struggles for them. Game the Vikings really need to have, um, but still, you know, just a slight favorite in that game. So we'll get to that one and a bunch of other games as well. But first, what did I miss? I spent just a couple minutes talking about that epic baseball game. Game five of the division series, Giants and Dodgers, both teams among you know the two best teams in the regular season, um, a rarity in terms of 200-plus win teams facing each other in the postseason. Giants had edged out the Dodgers by one win um, in the in the regular season, 107 to 106, to win the NL West. Came down to a game five. Came down to the ninth inning, 1-1 going into the ninth. Dodgers get the big hit they so desperately need. Cody Bellinger, who had been awful basically all season, the 2019 MVP. Um, had had just the the worst year you could have imagined, but he came through in the clutch a couple times in this series, including um, a a single in the ninth inning to put them ahead 2-1. Giants get a base runner on an error in the ninth inning. Lamont Wade Jr. comes up. I think he's going to end it because he hits a long fly ball to right, but it drifts foul. Former twin ends up striking out. And then the final out of the game is a check swing that was in no way, shape, or form a swing, but was called one. Strike three was called. Terrible ending to a epic game, but uh, let's not lose sight of the bigger picture here. Now that the field is set, now that we know the final four teams in baseball, got the Dodgers against Atlanta in the uh, National League Championship Series and the Red Sox against the Astros in the ALCS. Three of those teams are in the top five of Major League Baseball in total payroll this year, according to Track. That's the Dodgers, number one, dwarfing everybody else by at least $64 million, checking in with a total payroll of $267 million. That's twice the Major League average. That's two times more plus some than what the Twins spent. Twins spent $117 million this year. Astros number four at 194 million. Red Sox number five at 184 million. Atlanta, yeah, they still spent a decent amount. They're number 12 at 147 million. Just a reminder that as nice as these stories are about the Rays and other teams who do it without big payrolls, 
Usually at the very end, the teams that win are the teams that spend money, and that is what we have found again to this again this year. Baseball is a good sport with a huge flaw economically, and that's that the, there's a payroll inequity, and that teams cannot compete in in a meaningful way. And it's you know it's because a lot of these teams have much larger shares of media from from their local markets because they're in much larger markets. I don't know what exactly what the solution is, but Something with baseball has always been rotten in the last 15, 20 years, and this is just another example, even if you can enjoy the epic game that was Thursday night. The appliance industry is suffering from major delays with shortages on the horizon. The specialists at Warner Stelling have the area's best selection with thousands of appliances in stock for fast pickup or free delivery. Shop 10 Minnesota stores or at warnerstellion.com. Happy to have Sarah McClellan back on Daily Delivery. Imagine she'll be a more regular guest, although she's been on plenty this offseason as well, but the Wild uh, begins play Friday. Sarah, of course, covers the Wild for the Star Tribune, and uh, so this will be a season preview of sorts. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Pretty good. Making it through. Um, excited for a busy time of year. You know, it's busy, getting busy for you in particular, but uh, the convergence of, of all the sports that happen right now uh, keeps me plenty busy as well, but I'm I'm curious about this team, this wild team, because I think like we've talked about maybe before they, I don't know if if internally they exceeded expectations last year, but they exceeded my expectations last year. And it was such a weird year last year anyway, with, you know, the 56 games, the, you know, the COVID protocols playing everything within your own division. Um, You go into this season now though. And I think every projection that I've seen kind of has the wild safely in that probably going to make the playoffs zone, but I'm still, curious to see what this team looks like over 82 games over a different schedule and and curious to kind of hear from you what you think is a realistic expectation for this team going into the year I think that's probably one of the biggest question marks is how does last season's results translate to the new circumstances or the familiar <laughs> the familiar new old circumstances of the NHL and the division setup and going back to the central playing every team at, you know, at least once at home in a row and road and, you know, getting back into a division where there's, you know, the likes of Winnipeg and Chicago and Nashville, this is not the West division anymore with, you know, three rebuilding California teams and, you know, uh, an Arizona team also rebuilding. This is very much kind of back to, um, you know, those tough division years that the wild was familiar with before um, the shortened season. And so you're right. I think there was a lot of optimism um, from last season's performance. Strides were made not only individually, but they translated to the team level. Uh, But that's the challenge now to see if that holds up, to see if that was not in fact a one-off, a byproduct of circumstance of, you know, a quirky season uh, with different division opponents and rivals but rather a step and maybe a tone being set for, you know, very much what could come in this new era of wild hockey because of the offseason changes, the exits of Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. Is this the beginning? You know, is this being sustained or, you know, is this going to be something completely unrelated to last season? I I think that's probably where most of the intrigue uh, surrounds this wild team and, um, 
that picture may not be clear in the next few weeks. You know, it, it may take some time. It may get into the meat of the schedule into December and January and some East Coast trips and um, playing some of the premier Canadian teams, just a schedule that the team hasn't had. And that very much could, you know, set the tone for what this season becomes is how it fares against, you know, what it missed out on last season by playing exclusively in the West Division. So much of last season and so much of the off season was uh, the art, the eyeballs on it were Kirill, Kirill Kaprizov related. They waited very long into the uh, off season to get him signed, but did get him signed to that five-year, $45 million contract. It was a busy off season for Bill Guerin, the general manager, like you said, with the buyouts, with the extension for Joel Erickson Eck, with the one-year deal for Kevin Fiala. But the Kaprizov one was really the big one. They get They get that done. I think a lot of the questions we probably have about what this team looks like a year after last year has to do with what does Kaprizov look like in an 82-game schedule. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think very much his forecast or outlook this season mirrors the team's kind of situation and seeing can you know can they do it again, but knowing the challenge is different, you know. Not that he was a secret last season, but <laughs> he is in the spotlight this season. Teams are aware. Um, he is not going to fly under the radar. And again, not that he did last season, but there is now you know a heftier book on him in, in the NHL, whereas maybe those first few games against an opponent, maybe he caught someone off guard, but they're well aware now. And so can he deal with that? Can he deal with the pressure? Can he deal with the, you know, the spotlight comes with that, the extra attention teams may be playing him harder, um, checking him more, trying to take away his time and space. Um, you know, that I think will be the big test of what worked last season, you know, can translate to this season and, you know, still too kind of the, you know, the unique aspects of, playing in different arenas, going to different road cities, playing against Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. You know, those are the matchups that intrigue fans and, um, you know, show the excitement level in the league. And, you know, I'm sure that transcends down to the players of going head to head with the best and seeing how they match up. So there's a lot that's going to be new, um, but clearly, you know, if he can play that same way, find, you know, the areas on the ice to exploit his, you know, his shot, his passing, his playmaking, his vision, then, you know, that could very well translate and he could continue to build off what was obviously a very strong debut that culminated in the Calder Trophy as the NHL's Rookie of the Year. He played a lot last year with Matt Zuccarello. That sounds like that will be a partnership that will continue, but it also sounds like Joel Erickson Eck, who we mentioned as you know, sign that eight-year contract in the offseason might be moving over and centering them, at least at the beginning. Line combinations are subject to change game to game, minute to minute, depending on what's working in the NHL. Um, if that is the dynamic, though, at least from the start, how do you think those three players fit together? And especially, you know, kind of breaking up what was a pretty successful line with with Erickson Eck in, in Greenway and Felino, if that's the case, too. Yeah, you know, I, I can see why it makes a lot of sense from the Wilds perspective to give this line a look. You know, I think maybe at first glance you think, well, does Eric's next style really mesh with, you know, kind of the finesse games of, 
you know, Zuccarello and Kaprizov and, you know, can they sink together since, you know, last season, particularly, you know, you saw the way Kaprizov and Zuccarello manufactured goals, um, you know, with those offensive instincts and their skill and maybe, you know, making plays on the perimeter and, and, and being very heady in what they decided to do. Whereas it was very clear how Joel Erickson had success last season. It was, you know, pile driving the middle of the ice and going to the front of the net and, and getting, you know, uh, redirects and tips and capitalizing on rebounds. But when you look at that and you think of that style meshing with the other style, I think you can see a harmony and a symmetry in that, you know, if those players are on the perimeter and Eric Sinek is a handful in the middle, it should and very well could open up more space for them to maneuver. And if Eric Sinek is the type of player that defenses will pay attention to in front of their goaltender, and if he can bring that extra body or an extra defenseman or his eyes with him, it should open up lanes. And it did in the preseason. You know, there were some examples uh, in the preseason where, he was at the front of the net and there was more than one player marking him and it opened up a lane. So I, I think from that perspective, you can kind of see that, that maybe that opposites attract dynamic where they are not the same players. The wild doesn't, you know, expect him or, you know, need him to change his style of play to play with these two. Um, but in a way they can complement each other because what he does can actually feed into the way the other two play and, you know, we'll see if that obviously leads to offense, but I can understand the thought process behind it. And when you look at the strides Erickson Eck made last season and registering a career high 19 goals and really, you know, showcasing his offensive tool set, I think it makes sense to why not from an organizational perspective, give it a try and see if it works. Absolutely. And if it doesn't work, they can always scrap it. That's this hockey. They can always scrap it if they need to. Um, couple more things for you, Sarah McClellan, um, wild beat writer for the Star Tribune. So Eric Sinek got eight years. Kaprizov got five years. Kevin Fiala got one year. Um, just some quick math. Those are bigger numbers than Fiala's number. And you know, he's an important player for them, obviously, offensively gifted, probably one of, probably the best shot, the pure shooter, best pure shooter on the team, perhaps. Although Kaprizov uh, has, plenty of, uh, has plenty of talent in that regard as well. When you look at their financial picture going forward and how the Parisian suitor buyouts are going to start hitting that cap pretty hard next year, you start to realize how important this year might be for Kevin Fiala and his future with the Wild, do you not? Yeah, I think this will be a good season to really showcase, you know, you're right, probably his niche, probably where he fits with this group. But so far, I think it, it has been obviously a very successful partnership, um, you know, and, and maybe that one year contract, you know, doesn't really indicate that or showcase that, but it has. And I think, especially last season, you know, with the emergence of Kaprizov, um, you know, Fiala has an important role on this team. You know, Kaprizov had the 27 goals, the team leader, um, the spark plug, you know, he, he's rookie of the year, like I said, but you subtract Fiala and it's one less line for teams to, to hone in on, you know, if they, this is not a team, the way it's structured with those two on different lines that teams can just focus on one and shut down the wild. Um, having them on different lines um, coming in waves, I think just makes this offense much more dynamic. And you look at Fiala's track record here, 20 goals, you know, a 20 goal score. That's a valuable commodity in the NHL in any 
you know, in any day and time, in any era, 20 goal scores don't just come around every day. So it, it totally does, though, have the prove me type vibe of a year um, with the one year contract. Obviously, going back in the summer, they couldn't agree to obviously a long term parameters. Fiala, um, you know, uh, they obviously ended up going to salad filing for salary arbitration. The wild did didn't get that far, which most cases don't. Um, so the one year deal is locked in and he says he's motivated. He says that he's coming in and really looking forward to this season. So, you know, obviously again, we'll see how the results translate to the ice, but you know, that top line will get a lot of attention, but right underneath it, that Fiala line, I think, is still very much valuable to the way this, this offense clicks and how it can have balance and depth and ultimately success. You know, for as much as the defensive group changed somewhat in the offseason, the forwards don't seem like there's a ton of new, um, new blood in there. The one name that, you know, is probably first and foremost on the minds of Wild fans that's not in the kind of starting the first 12 is, uh, is Marco Rossi sent back to Iowa to start the year. How long do you think he stays there? Is that something where they hope he's a soon arrival or do they, they hope that he doesn't have to win a job this soon? I think they're, they don't know when he will arrive. And I think that's kind of part of the territory. You know, I, you, you see how maybe, um, you know, injuries or trades, rosters change. I think that obviously can, can, you know, institute, you know, a call up obviously, but I think, you know, there's probably a lot of interest just to see how he fares and getting in games in a normal season. Obviously he missed all of last season recovering from, you know, the complication with, with COVID-19, the myo- myocarditis. So I think just there's probably that interest in just him getting into that routine of a season, playing games, um, and just kind of building that bank of experience in a North American pro setting, which he hasn't done before in his career. So, you know, I, maybe the results down there will kind of hint at when he could possibly get that call up if an opening happens. But this is very much, it's so cliche, like part of the process, the development, you know, um, growing homegrown talent, but it's legit because look at Brandon Duhame. He made this, this team out of training camp um, after two years in the minors, spending two seasons with Iowa after getting drafted and going to college. And so it's not always snap your fingers and you're in the NHL. Not everyone is Connor McDavid or, you know, Kirill Kaprizov coming over at the first opportunity and, you know, on the first line. So um, it can take time, but I think what he showed at training camp was impressive in the fact that the team felt he got better every game. And if that's the type of progression that a player and a prospect has, then there's probably a lot to like about what that future could look like at the NHL level. Good stuff, Sarah. Last thought for you. What are some of the things we should watch for in particular, if you're able to watch uh, Friday's opener? Yeah, I think how that first line gels, if what the chemistry is like, if they are able to generate, you know, off the rush with Eric's neck driving the front of the net. But I think there's also probably a lot of intrigue around the blue line. Um, That's a position we didn't even really touch on. And it has, you know, three out of the six spaces will be new. So um, some new pairings, some new combinations. Um, And for so long, that was the bread and butter and the identity of this team. I think it'll be interesting to see if, if the unit and the blue line can be just as effective as it has been over the years, despite the turnover. Carson Soucy, a healthy scratch for Seattle the other night. I thought that was interesting. One of the guys that was an off season departure and we'll see 
how uh, you know how, how Alex Belagoski fares with uh, he's paired with Spurgeon, right? Is that the uh, that's the the top defensive pair? Top so, so used to Ryan Suter being part of that, and that'll be definitely a a thing to watch as well. How do those two play together? Well, you'll read all about it. Start to be start to be.com because Sarah McClellan will be there. Sarah, thanks so much. We'll do this again soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. You know, Sarah was right. We probably didn't talk quite enough about the defense. I mean, we'll save that for another episode after we've seen them play a few games together. But that, yeah, that remade defense could end up telling the story of the season. And I've got a sneaking suspicion the goaltending could uh, could play a factor here too. As, as great as it was last year, I don't know if you can just pencil in the goaltending to be quite as solid as it was last year when Cam Talbot was excellent and Capo Kakinen filled in admirably when they needed him. So. I'll be watching those things, especially as we get a little deeper into this wild season. Mark Craig joins Daily Delivery right now, as he does on most Friday episodes. NFL picks, time for that. Mark, how you doing? An interesting week, I think. I'm doing well. This is my last chance to overbrag about the lock of the week last week being the Vikings over the Lions. Never, <laughs> never a doubt. Shouldn't have been in doubt. We wow, talk, what a game. We can talk about that game a little bit if you want, but it was uh yeah, I mean, you know, when they when they're up 16-6 and the Lions have gone for it from their own territory in desperation and got sacked with like 4 minutes left. You kind of think that one's over, don't you? Uh yeah, you do think it's over. Um you know, it's just one of those I mean, I never anticipated but when you're just kind of kicking field goals, although Dan Campbell also, you know, him going for fourth down earlier in the game when they're and he punts the ball and it goes into the end zone. It's only like a net 20 yards or whatever. I thought that was a pretty conservative on his part, considering. But uh, I did like his uh, going for two at the end. That was impressive. And then the Vikings, of course, pull it out. 54 yard field goal by uh, Greg Joseph at the at the gun to rescue their season, more or less, and, and make Sunday's game at Carolina. Um, have a pretty good amount of meeting. And this is a, an interesting matchup. Carolina has been a little bit all over the map this year, started out really well, but then Christian McCaffrey was injured. Sam Darnold, who had looked, you know, like he was onto something early on has thrown some interceptions lately, but that's been without McCaffrey Vikings opened as underdogs in this game, but are now one point road favorites, despite having a, a lesser record than Carolina, Carolina being three and two Vikings are two and three. What do you, I mean, feels like everything that we know is about the Vikings and and just looking at this game tells us this should be a close one. How do we kind of anticipate what might happen and who might come out on top in this, in a game like that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I picked the Vikings, you know, 23, 21. Uh, I think it's going to be not, not crazy high scoring and not, not real low scoring, but you know, I think, uh, you know, people, you know, that are the, the people who know all about this stuff, the, the true people who know is, the odds makers. And I think that they, they look at, uh, you know, this is a Vikings defense that uh, sure isn't perfect, but if you look at a year ago, they had 23 sacks the entire year. I mean, that was the franchise low. Uh, and now I think they have 17 sacks already. I mean, this is a, and Everson Griffin's playing like, a, like an all, all pro 28 year old Everson Griffin. Daniel Hunter is fantastic. They got bar back. Um, and also you, you look at, I mean, I know that they should never have been in this situation, but, this is exactly what you pay a Kirk Cousins to do. I mean, it's kind of funny that, you know, uh, 
you know, people are so upset. And, and granted, they, they should have handled the lines and everything. But the kicker makes a fifty. A kicker makes a field goal to win it in, in Minnesota, and the quarterback uh, performed like Aaron Rodgers to get him into that position. And and there's still this feeling of like you know, the end is here. Um, but so I, I have a feeling that you know there's a little more respect to for what the Vikings are capable of, and also probably a little bit of distrust in what Sam Darnold can do without a healthy uh, Christian McCaffrey. Now McCaffrey is, what's his status at this point? I can't remember. Is he in or out? Well, he's, he's similar to what, although I think Dalvin Cook will play, but um, he's similar to Cook in that they're, you know, it's a hamstring. So that every day is, is an important day, you know, to move forward with that. I think he's, it's, he's, his status is up in the air, which could be an, which is a probably a big reason why the line is fluctuating between, you know, I, I picked it as upsets, uh, early upset special. And by the time I think it got in print, it was, they were favored. So it's kind of this juggling match of, uh, you know, who, who's the, who's the better team. And I think a lot of that has to do with, we don't really know uh, the two top running backs uh, by the two best players on each team. Um, we don't know if they're going to play or not. Now, before we move on to a couple other games, I want to ask you about the Vikings defense. You referenced it. They've given up less than 20 points in each of their last three games and football outsiders, you know, which kind of takes into account a lot of different things, not just points, yards. It takes into account situational play and things like that. Has the Vikings number eight in defense right now in their DVOA rankings? Are you buying that they're a top 10 defense right now? Probably not top 10, but um, upper half of the league. Um, you know, you look at last year, I mean, just how embarrassing that, de- that defense was at the end and just how um, just completely there was nothing there. I mean, they were not an NFL defense. And then um, for them to play, you know, fairly well against the run defense, I mean, granted, early on there were some some runs, you know, 12, 13, 11 yards where you're like, you know, they just can't get it together. Uh, but Michael Pierce is out. Um, but I do see that, you know, I see that um, – Peterson, you know, he, he gets beat on a third down play, but he's also pretty in pretty good tight coverage. So I would be happy with how he's playing. You know, Breland is getting better, although, you know, that's probably not saying much considering where he started. Um, you know, it's it's a work. It's still a work in progress, but I think they are a I don't know if they're a top eight defense, but uh, they're a defense that you can win with uh, if the offensive line can control the, the that side of the ball. And they can get Dalvin Cook healthy. I mean, Dalvin Cook's health will mean a whole heck of a lot to these next six games if they can keep him healthy. And, uh, you know, that just puts them so much ahead of where they are when they have to play without him. Opportunity for the Vikings to gain ground on somebody in the division this week because the next game I want to talk about is Green Bay, Chicago, interdivision matchup. Talk about escapes, uh, Green Bay. Got away with one um, last week against Cincinnati. Missed, Mason Crosby misses three potential game-winning field goals. Cincinnati's kicker misses two, including one that he thought was obviously good because he started celebrating uh, a little bit too early. Then Mason Crosby finally makes one, and the Packers get out of there with an overtime win, and they're 4-1. and one. Chicago 3-2. and two. You nailed that upset special last week with the, them beating the uh, – the the Raiders uh, right before everything blew up on the Raiders and John Gruden resigned. What, uh, you know, this is an interesting game. I think Green Bay is favored by four or five points. 
Green Bay doesn't look great yet, but they are four and one Chicago three and two. What, you know, in terms of style and, and matchup, how do you see this one playing out? You know, I, I, first of all, I think the Bengals are, are a better team than, uh, you know, I know that the, the, with Burrow and Chase and everything, they're a flashy team, but I think they're also a pretty good team. So for the Packers to win that game um, is pretty impressive on the road. I mean, the Vikings uh, couldn't do it there. Uh, and that, that Bengals kicker, he's probably celebrating out of habit because the, the first four games of his NFL career, I think they carried him off the field twice with game winners. So, so uh, I guess he's going to miss once in a while. Um, but yeah, I, I like this game just because it's, uh, it's the first time Justin Fields is involved and um, boy, he, you know, he's, I think he's going to be really good. I don't think he's, he's good enough right now or experienced enough right now to beat Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is like 20 and five against the bears at 55 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, he's like a 107 passer rating or something like that. Um, I like the fact that this is starting a new era for the Bears against the, the Packers, and I like to watch those Bears-Packers games. Uh, be real interesting to see what uh, what Fields can do, uh, more so about what Nagy like, – like Nagy, that first game against the Browns, I, I don't know if he just didn't have enough time to think, or, or but he just basically called a game as if Andy Dalton was there, and I think you saw a little bit different um, Fields the next uh, two games or one or two games. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch that. I think the Packers win the game, and I don't know if I had them covering or not, but, uh, yeah, uh, 24-17, uh, I, I like the, the Packers to win, uh, even though it's in Chicago. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Fields is probably going to have a little bit of uh, growing pains. The Vikings, unfortunately, uh, probably see him more seasoned at the end of the year because I think both of their Bears games are, was it, two of the last three of the year against the bears, right. Or something like that. I think they're, yeah, it's late. It's very strange. Um, so that that's interesting. Um, let's, let's move on to a couple more here. You like the, the, you call it your, I don't know if you officially do a lock of the week, but you like Rams over giants. Um, you would say not much chance for the giants to win that one. Yes, I do a lock of the week Vikings, unless I lose it. And then I kind of let it just drift away. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if, if Daniel Jones is going to play, but I, I really don't care. It's a, it's a 10 and a half points. As, you know, Barkley's out again. Um, you know, they're obviously not, they're not very good with him. They're not very, they're not definitely not good with it without him. So, uh, and the quarterback uh, doesn't do a whole lot for me. I mean, he, he plays hard and everything, but he does, if he's not in it, but in the Rams, uh, I think they'll, they'll travel well. I mean, uh, the road teams this year, um, I mean, it seems like a big home field advantage I thought would be a bigger advantage coming off the pandemic. Of course, it's a smaller sample size, but uh, I think uh, it's only like 51% home teams are at, uh, winning, the true home teams. I didn't count the London game and uh, sure. Packers going to uh, Jacksonville for a New Orleans home game. Um, but, yeah, I, I just like the Rams you know, going across the country and doing what they have to do and getting out of there with a you know two-touchdown win and – That'll be it. Probably the best game of the week, Cardinals at Browns. Um, Chargers managed to solve a Browns defense that uh, Vikings only got seven. Chargers got 40 more than that, 47 last week. So don't quite know what to make of that. But probably the best game of the week, Cardinals, the last last unbeaten team in the NFL. The Browns look like a contender in the AFC, especially with 
Kansas City seeming to experience a little bit of slippage here, although I think Buffalo is probably the uh, the best over there in that uh, in that conference right now until proven otherwise. What, what do you what do you like about this game? We count on those uh, the, the points that the Chargers have where the Browns defense picked up the running back and carried him into the end zone. <laughs> the ball back. That's one of those stranger things I've seen. You know, usually, you know, like defense will lay down and let him score. Well, they, he didn't want to score. So they basically like tackled him and brought him into the end zone. Um, but yeah, I like I like the Browns because they they didn't win this game, but you know, they can win a low scoring game uh, with Baker Mayfield playing terribly. Or they can go out there and have a shootout with just on the road with uh, Justin Herbert and that machine of, of an offense uh, when Baker's playing well. Uh, so I like where the Browns are, and also I, I I picked the Browns to win this game because of where it's at. It's in uh, it's in Cleveland, and um, it just feels like you know the, it's time for the Cardinals to. Uh, it's one of those. NFL kind of readjust the perception games that, uh, you know, may not have a whole lot of reason behind it, but uh, sure. I do Browns as a good team at home and it's just time for the, the Cardinals to, uh, to lose. Let's check the upset special. I actually disagree with you on this one. You've got Cowboys minus four at Patriots. You like new England at home. I just, I'm not, I don't think new England's very good. I think Dallas wins this game, but give me your reasoning for picking the Patriots by three. Uh, it's a similar one, uh, you know, of, of the feeling of, you know, we've, there's the Cowboys are rolling. They've won four in a row. Where, you know, you're just kind of hearing that Cowboy feel again. And um, in New England, and uh, a big part of it was, and I know it was raining and everything, but how New England played against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. I know that the Cowboys got a ton of weapons. Uh, I just saw, I, my feeling, it could be completely wrong, is, Belichick finds one thing to take away from Mike McCarthy to kind of throw a wrench in their system. Uh, and, you know, and I like, I like how Mac Jones is playing. I know they had to come back to beat. They were down big against the Texans, but they came back and won. I like how Mac Jones played game against Brady. Um, if the kicker doesn't miss the field goal, you know, it doesn't hit the upright. You're talking about this kid, you know, with Tom Brady on the other side, of course, Tom Brady would have had 55 seconds left. So he, right. he probably, you would have been talking about at least the two quarterbacks going back and forth on, on uh, game winning drives. Um, but I, I just, I, I like this as uh, you know, and I've, I've been fooled by this since, uh, since Brady left, I've had a couple of those where I'm still picking the Patriots thinking they're, they're probably better than they are. But um, when you got to pick an upset special, I wanted to go swung for the fence on this one. Well, you've been pretty good on the upset specials. You're four and one so far on the upset specials. So maybe we should be uh, listening to you and not me. I, uh, I, I feel, I felt better about the bears one. I thought that one, I felt confident on that one. This one, I feel like I'm uh, maybe throwing something at the wall that'll stick, but uh, I do. uh, I did like the bears one for sure. And I didn't even know what was coming down the pike for them. (laughs) For sure. Well, we'll see how we'll see how it all unfolds the rest of us uh, you know to, you know thursday night game was was fun and then we'll have the rest of the uh, rest of the slate on sunday and monday and we'll do this again next week um no vikings game a week from now so we'll, we'll have to uh, have to cook up something else thanks mark craig we'll see you soon yeah. thank you good stuff for mark craig as usual be watching intently that sunday vikings carolina game interesting quote from mike zimmer on uh, on k fan earlier this week about that post game 
uh, celebration, I guess you could still call it, with Kirk Cousins, quote, I'm one of those guys that when I get pushed, I push back. To be continued in Carolina. We'll be interested to see how that game goes, how that relationship between the coach and the quarterback really looks. That'll do it for today. Thanks so much for joining me all week. Good stuff coming up next week. Probably a Timberwolves preview, almost definitely one, with uh, with Chris Hine. They open their season on Wednesday. It's the convergence of all these seasons. Enjoy it all, and we'll see you again on Monday.